Hey friends, I'm Ash. I'm Al. We are Lobby Cosplay. And this is Shit Cosplayers Say. We may be finally going to Spain. That's so weird. That's so weird. It's bizarre. <laughs> it is a bizarre <laughs> thought to have. Yeah. But that is currently the plan. Yeah, as of right now, they want to move forward with the International Cosplay League competition. Um, as far as we know, no preliminaries have been scheduled, so I don't quite know how that's working at the moment, but the plan is to go. That sounds like it's above my pay grade. <laughs> I know. So we'll just see what happens to save our sanity. We are going back to the original costume set. So still Magi, but going back to Judar and Kogyokuren and leveling them up and leveling up the skit. Just because that seemed like the best choice at this time. So we get like a whole extra 30 seconds. That's right. Yeah. It just seemed like in the end a waste to just not use these costumes to their full potential. Yes. Um, so we'll be redoing the wigs and doing some upgrades, reformatting the skit a bit. Since we have extra time, we can add some extra things in we had to leave out. So hopefully it will all work out i am trying not to be overly anxious about putting these costumes in a suitcase and shipping them to another country but yeah <laughs> my biggest fear is that they won't show up so well that is a valid fear yep i will say that in all of my personal flying which of course isn't a ton but it is some i have had zero issues with my luggage being lost so you know small wins I mean, I, I have had my luggage lost multiple times within the oh, United no. States. So, oh, no. But I flew a lot because I used to live in New York. And it's not that big of a deal on, like, if it happens on the way back, no one gives a shit. If it happens on the way there, it's like a travesty. So It's a bit of a struggle at yeah, that point. Yeah, so we'll see. That's part of the reason you go a few days before the actual contest, just in case something goes wrong. So we'll see what happens. This also Fingers crossed. <laughs> this this episode releases the Sunday of Anime St. Louis, which we didn't we announced in a very quick separate recording. But yeah, we went to Anime St. Louis. <laughs> Surprise! Yeah. Surprise. We went to Anime St. Louis this weekend. Probably did a photo shoot. We had our live show on Friday. We competed in the cosplay contest. <laughs> we did. Go us. Woo I'm sure it was great. So you'll get to we hear had a lot our... of fun, which was the goal. You'll you'll get to hear all about that next episode. Which we hopefully recorded in the hotel room. Ideally, we have recorded that in the hotel room. Small Be goals. Because of course our bank of episodes has run out and now we are back to the needing to record every couple of weeks to build our supply back up. So Well, we made the banking for when shit happened and then shit happened. So the banking served its purpose. But now we need to just like rebuilding the savings account, we gotta start putting more back in there <laughs> a little bit at a time. But shit always happens, so the bank doesn't last long. <laughs> because if it can, can go, go wrong, wrong it, it will, will go, go wrong. wrong. Speaking of things going wrong. That is a large part of our episode today. And speaking of things above our pay grade. Oh, yes. <laughs> so for those of you that did not read the description, this is another one of our guesting-centric episodes. And we just kind of made a miscellaneous list of experiences we've had. This is not all-inclusive, and we did not name names. 
We've shown up to at least two cons and not had but badges in the system registered for us. We've shown up at least twice and not have rooms that were previously agreed on ready for us. We've had to impromptu stage manage shows that we were performing in because there was no one else available to do so. We've had to create performances on the fly, including two halftime shows after explicitly being told that we would not have to do that. Had to do it on multiple occasions. I'm pretty sure one of those was also the one show where then we were later blamed for the entire show being terrible. Oh, yes. Yes, that's that's true. Yeah. We have emceed and had great both verbal and written feedback from performers, audience members, and convention executives only to be ghosted after the fact at least three times. And replaced by a robot. Oh, replaced by a robot. <laughs> did you forget we were replaced by a robot? I did not time? forget. I just didn't include that one. <laughs> We've had panels, um, either just the concepts or sometimes full presentations, like including PowerPoints, stolen from convention staff and given to our quote unquote replacements to run at least twice. We've been guilted into running more programming and sometimes doing two to three times as much work as other similar level staff, volunteers, whatever you want to call them, judges, performers, entertainers, etc., with zero increase of compensation, more times than I could possibly probably try to count. We've been solicited as contest coordinators, had meetings with executives to discuss details only to be ghosted after the fact, and... Oh, so much more. So much more. Yeah, when you do a presentation for um, a convention, do not leave your plan for the uh, contest with them because they may take it and just give it to somebody else who is more famous. But if you... I, I just don't get it because if you obviously liked what we did... Be- because why? the other person was more famous than us. I know. That's what that one was. Gross. Yep. But why? Why do conventions do this to their artists and their performers and their wonderful people? Well, let me tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> so as a culture, we devalue the arts, like including cosplay. But arts are often considered to be impractical and completely unnecessary. I mean, look at schools. They've been underfunded for literally years, both for actual classes and extracurriculars. So, I mean, how many full-time photographers, writers, artists, etc. that you know have to find alternative means to actually support themselves so that they can do their artistic job still full-time but not make enough money to live on? I mean, I would say most of them. And if they don't have a second job, it's because they have a partner that's assisting in the support financially. So. The other thing that I've noticed is that convention work in general is often seen as something that should be done just for the love of the con or the community or the type of work that you're doing, but not for money. I found this Help Wanted ad that was run by, I won't, again, name names, but it's a multi-billion dollar retail chain. And it said, we're giving you the opportunity to build your career and build your reputation. Your work will contribute to our success. Share your gift. Leave your mark by doing what you love and do best. Ew. WTF. Like, they make billions of dollars a year. But we like to save on budget by paying an expense 
exposure. Well, and a lot with conventions where it comes from too, especially with anime conventions, is they are, and this is a whole episode on its own, but they're non-for-profit. And so they use that almost as a guilt trip mechanism to make you feel like, well, we're doing charity, so we shouldn't have to pay anyone because everyone should want to donate their time and their money to a good cause. But that's 100% not what non-for-profit means. So don't assume that these non-for-profit conventions are doing any charitable work at all. Right. FYI. And yeah, <laughs> definitely if you want to use that as an excuse, you need to research organizations. And like Elle said, we'll cover this more thoroughly later. But I've also noticed just because of the nature of cons and people not being super business smart or business savvy, other people also adopt this model, even if they aren't a qualifying 503 organization. So... Oh, yeah. The conventions that shall not be named that we had the most issues with were for-profit institutions. So, I mean, there's just, yeah, it's it's a whole thing. For anyone who's not aware of what exposure is, first of all, bless you. <laughs> I, you are very lucky if you don't know and have not had this word thrown at you. Yes, but the idea behind paying an exposure is that we don't want to pay you. But by doing our job for free, then maybe somebody will see you and your work that you've done. And maybe that person might hire you and possibly pay you in the future. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) It just, it's so absurd when you write it out. Right. Because it doesn't work. That's essentially what exposure is. And there's just too many variables in there. Like, well, and first of all, what exposure? Right. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, because unless it's I mean, a massive convention, you are not getting any exposure. But even then, like, cons don't do program books no. anymore. Most of their apps and program books don't give hardly any information on the majority of the people that are doing any type of work whatsoever for the con. The one time we were supposed to be put in a program book, they put somebody else's picture. <laughs> That's right. Next to our names, a lot of them won't announce you on social media. If they do, it's super hit or miss on whether or not they're going to tag your socials. That totally depends on how like skilled their marketing manager is. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, we've talked about this, I believe, in judging episodes before. Judging 1000% will not make you cosplay famous. The only people you're exposed to are staff and contestants and other than that itty bitty tiny bit you're on stage during the awards ceremony as judges the contest is not about you it's about the competitors so if you're wanting to get quote-unquote exposure you're better off just walking around the con and talking to attendees well and we've actually talked about this before in terms of marketing the podcast us physically going to a con And doing no work, but being on the floor actually gets our podcast in front of more people than agreeing to judge a convention. Yes. And we have tested this out already in theory, and the difference is drastic. Yes. And conventions of similar size, but because when you're trapped in a judging room, You're not being exposed to anyone. No one's meeting you. You're not sharing information. So, like, if your goal is to market yourself, judging does not help. 
but no. cons will always advertise it as great exposure. But no one's seeing you. <laughs> it's like this weird wheel that just doesn't end. Yes. Again, if you love judging and you want to judge because of your love of judging, then go for it. But if you're doing it because you think that people are going to follow you on social media, you're barking up the wrong tree. I mean, it'll work for certain conventions, but in most cases, it, it you're better off running around on the floor in your costume. Yeah. But that also has a lot to do with how low a judge actually is. Sure. In the guesting hierarchy. I found this super fascinating. I thought this was really interesting, too. Yeah. So, in general, you could compare the hierarchy of con guests very similarly to the Hollywood Hot List uh, by James Ulmer. And for those of you who haven't heard of this, I think most people are familiar with the grades, but it's a literal book of grades given to celebrities. So, anywhere from, like, an A-plus to a D. And you've probably heard, like, oh, D-list celebrities are on, you know, this type of TV show and... There's a lot of different factors involved, the first one being bankability, and that is how the actor's name alone guarantees a sale up front in today's global marketplace. So this is all about money, 100%. How many people at the con are buying their badge just because this one guest is going to be there? So this is like Adam Savage or yes. Kevin Smith. Yes. Or, you know, Chris Evans, you know, these kind of like people are going to legit just come to the convention to see that specific person. Um, the next thing is career management. How well has the actor chosen roles to maximize their career potential? So how well-rounded is this guest in terms of past and future projects? Do they do uh, con performances, workshops, lecture, moderator on topics that are current for like today's convention culture? Or on the flip side, were they like a one-hit wonder who can only talk about that one thing that they did years and years ago? Well, and for some people, that one-hit wonder thing goes a long way. It does. But I remember when I was on a convention exec staff, um, our executive producer is very displeased that I removed my USB cord from my microphone from his hand. (laughs) So he is currently nuzzling into my leg. (laughs) Because he wants it back. Because he wants it back. Um, so when I was a convention exec, I want to say this was probably early, mid-2000s. We had some people that hadn't done anything in over 10 years that would like email us every year asking if we wanted them as guests. But the only thing that I personally knew that they had ever done was this one super popular project. And that's it. And that's kind of who I think of when I think of these people. Um, again, um, I'm not naming names because I'm not calling anybody out like that, but they do exist. And I'm sure everybody can kind of think of somebody. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone, there are particularly in the smaller Comic-Con circuit, there are certain actors that appear at literally every single one. Um, one of them played a very large green comic book character, and you will see him at every single comic oh, convention. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And he's about. known for one thing and one thing only. And, and one he thing did only. well, very, very well. Yeah. And people enjoy seeing him every time. So it's not like necessarily a bad thing if you're a one-hit wonder. It just doesn't usually work out as well. You're not going to be as marketable as somebody that's had multiple hits. That's just, I mean, it's a numbers game with that. Um, The next thing is your willingness to travel and promote and how cooperative you are with promoting projects. So how 
well is the guest willing to work within your convention schedule? Are they willing to come full time if that's what the con wants? Um, how willing and able are they to promote the convention that they're going to be working with? This might include other appearances. Like, let's say they go to a lot of cons. They're going to be talking about their upcoming convention schedule or their booth um, on their websites, through social media. Speaking of websites, what's their web traffic like? Socials. How many platforms do they have that they can promote your event on? How many followers do they have on those socials? And on top of that, what is their social media engagement like? So not only how many followers do they have, but how engaged are their followers with their pages? So that's definitely like a well-rounded consideration for cons to have. And the next one is professionalism. So how reliable is the actor to work with both on and off the set? I would like to think this is fairly self-explanatory. So what is it like to work with the guests before, during, and after your con? Well, and I think people also forget how important this one is. Yes, I do think it's very underrated. Because unless you are super A-list, like, megastar, a convention's not going to put up with poor behavior. Uh-huh. Speaking of poor behavior, <laughs> um, Inside Dirt is what they call the next category. And this is what I kind of refer to as the skeletons in the closet. So are there skeletons in their closet that cannot be ignored? Um, recently, a cosplay model was convicted of second-degree murder of her boyfriend. What? Oh, yeah, I did, not did hear you miss about this? this? Yes. So, so, it so we a have a years con ago. crimes episode to do, apparently. Right. So it happened. To, it didn't happen at a con. She just happened to be a cosplay model who it's con adjacent killed. Yes, it's con adjacent who killed her boyfriend. Um, but on top of that, I mean. A few years ago, a very popular anime voice actor was accused of both sexual harassment and sexual abuse. I'm sure everybody knows who that is. I'm not going to, again, name names. There have been alleged instances more recently of guests attending conventions and interacting with fans while knowingly carrying coronavirus. Some convention executives and con personalities have been accused of a variety of distasteful things bigotry, sexual harassment, sexual assault, embezzlement, um, sometimes potentially for years. The inside dirt is kind of like what bad is considered too bad for us to want to work with them or associate their name with our con. And as a guest, you should also take that into consideration and research your cons before you pick up a gig. Works both ways. It works both ways. And then the final thing is called box office bait. So who have they worked for and how much has that specific project made? From a con perspective, we're looking at what conventions has the guest worked for in the past? What type of work did they do while they were there compared to what they're proposing? So, you know, are they wanting to do pretty much the same thing? How successful was that previous gig? So what other guests, brands, or events do they have good working relationships with? This is often why you're going to see repeat guests at certain events year after year and why sometimes it's harder for new blood to enter certain guest circuits because it's safer from a convention standpoint to choose somebody either a that you've worked with before or who your network conventions have worked with before or that you've seen quality work from in the past versus somebody who's new and unknown so we like to make jokes about wisconsin and them having the same cosplay guests at every con but this is why. It's because either it's the same people running certain things, it's other people in the community who they know and respect that are running things that have had these great experiences with these guests, or they go to those cons as either volunteers or attendees 
and have good experiences and see how professional they are. And they're like, yes, we want those people and the reception that they got at that con at our convention. If you're a new and unknown person, and especially if you aren't offering anything new or original, special, like above and beyond their current guesting pool, it's going to be harder for you to break in. In general, though, A-listers are going to be your people that bring in the money for the con. Again, that's the bankability. Their presence alone is going to be enough draw for a significant percentage of your paying customers. So most people in any given industry will never be A-plus status. It, it is what it is. It doesn't matter how hard you work, if you're working full time or not. Because if everybody's an A-lister, then nobody's an A-lister. Um, I kind of imagine this as kind of like the bell curve that you used to talk about in school where so many people are going to fall. Well, this is almost like a half curve. So the majority of your people are going to be at the bottom and only like an itty bitty bitty bit are going to be at the top. These are more likely to be your international guests, um, maybe headlining musical guests, actors or voice actors, either from something like super classic something that's a favorite of a lot of people for potentially like decades or whatever is like the hot it trend right now. Like what is, oh my God, right now. So like the whole cast of My Hero Academia being present. Well, I mean, and maybe not even necessarily as much now as it was like two or three years ago. But yeah, at one point, definitely you could consider the entire cast of My Hero or Attack on Titan or... Right now, it's the Genshin, Genshin voice actors. Genshin Impact is yeah. super hot right now. So after your A-listers, you got your B-listers. And these are the people that I kind of consider to be safe guests. So these are probably the people you're going to see over and over and over and over again. They probably have a wide portfolio of past works with a notoriety to kind of go along with it. They may have been A-listers at one point in their careers, but probably not as much anymore. But that's only because everybody's already seen them. So the people that go to cons all the time have probably already met these people and got their autographs at least once, if not multiple times. The people that have probably kind of adapted and changed as they've gone through. It reminds me of this book that I had. It was like adapter weight tables where you have to kind of like change and adapt what you're willing to do because you can't just stay stagnant. But these are probably the people that do something new and fresh so that each time that somebody sees them, it's not the exact same experience. So these People might be moderating panels, doing workshops, emceeing, DJing, have a band, or do some other type of live performances. I know I've seen some improv work from a couple of people that have been around the block for quite a while, but they remain approachable to new con goers, but they still have that like consistency where people that have been around for a long time kind of view them as like welcoming back an old friend. They have some bankability, but they're probably not the only reason why somebody's coming to a con. C-listers are probably more like some, like we were talking earlier, <laughs> known for that like one particular person or even maybe a specific trope that they tend to play, but they lack either the notoriety to be an A-lister or the quality or kind of like depth and breadth of their portfolio to be a successful B-lister, at least long term. And then D-listers are usually pretty much going to be brought for one specific convention niche or to pad guest list. So I see that a lot where they'll bring in somebody and be like, oh, this person's a guest, but are they really a guest or we just really want to have like a really long guest list, but we're not going to actually treat these people like guests. They, they so, do that with people in the artist alley a lot. Yes, I see this a lot in artist alley. I see this a lot with cosplayers. I would even say like some of your panelists, some of your speakers, judges would fall all into this kind of like eh, category. Um, sometimes they are invited and compensated, but aren't officially categorized as guests, which I know we've had happen to us before. <laughs> and I would say that 
in general, most of your cosplayers are probably going to fall into the to the, either the C or D list category. You don't get too many A's or B's. Honestly, I feel like cosplay falls even below that in some cases. <laughs> like, I feel like the cosplay guest is often just a slight level above attendee, frankly, with, with how we're typically treated, especially if you're a judge. If you're a judge, but you're not a guest, um, I don't really feel that you're, it's, it's much higher than being an attendee because you're often expected to pay your entire way with your payment being the guest or judging status. You might be given a badge. A lot of times for cosplay guests, like Comic-Cons like to give you a table and they expect you to make your money that way, but they're not actually compensating you for any of your work outside of that. And really even your, your paid, like, top percent of cosplay guests are still at the bottom of the guest list in terms of this like cd list like way that it goes the really high people like wuru or cowbutt crunchies or yaya han are still not going to be as popular as say chris evans in terms of bringing people in yeah so although they would be a-list cosplay guests on the hierarchy of cosplay guest in the hierarchy of guest they're still more in that C category where they're there for a very specific niche. Yeah. In the whole of things. Well, and like I would consider like your Lolita guests to be along those same yes. lines too. Because it's a niche market that it's they're a very, filling. very niche market that you're filling. I mean, at least with some people, like if you're looking at like, we'll say Yaya Han or Jessica Negri or, I mean, you've got the tv factor too now where it's not going to be just people that are into cosplay that like this particular person like maybe they watched heroes of cosplay when it was on sci-fi um something along those lines but still your target audience for those types of people are going to be very small and then so it's like you said compared to somebody like chris evans they're not really anywhere close in comparison when you're talking about how much money they have potential to bring in for the con. And honestly, that's what convention guest lists are pretty much all about. It's going to be a balance between star power versus money, which sounds like it should be like a magical girl, like <laughs> superhero star move. Star um, power, money, makeup. Right. But everybody, I mean, it's just like anything else. Everybody wants to get the most bang for their buck. So the con wants to be able to get as much value for the least amount of money paid. But that being said, all work deserves to be paid. Period. Guests, judges, performers, photographers, MCs, artists, public speakers are all providing a very, very specialized and valuable service, and they should be compensated. You cannot decide that somebody is going to be a super great asset for your convention and then expect them to 100% foot the bill, not just to travel to your con but also all of their expenses while they're there and not pay them. Because at that point, they are paying to work for you. They are paying their money to come and work for you at that point. I mean, yeah, headliners are awesome. But if you don't have those people, you're not going to have any websites, no custom printed badges, no swag, no guides. Without speakers, moderators, and performers, you have a bunch of people sitting around in an exhibit hall with no programming. Which, if that's what you're going for, great. But... If you want something more, you need these specialized skill sets. 
I'm always surprised by that big gamble that conventions are willing to take. Because if you look at a convention schedule, particularly an anime convention, probably about 75% of the programming is all volunteer programming. It's all attendee panels. And do you know what happens when you offer no incentive for people to do good panels? You get trash panels, and you often get not enough programming. And we have been involved in multiple conventions where this has occurred. Or been to conventions where this has occurred because they're like, oh yeah, we want attendees to do panels, but we're not, there's no, there's no incentive to do them. Right. So what are you going to get? 500 Q&A panels of a bunch of teenagers pretending to be their favorite characters. Who only do it once and then decide it's too much work for no reward and then never do it again. But you don't the cycle get continues. the quality of programming from the professionals that you want. And we have had conventions email us and go, hey, we want you to do XYZ panel at our convention. And we're like, okay, well, you're going to give us a badge. Well, no, people should do programming for the love of the con. Okay, you're asking us to come work for you. And we've had, I mean, we've had conventions ask us to come be guests, be part of their podcast section of their con, and then be like, yeah, there's no... There's nothing that we're going to give you, though. We just, right. we, th we think you should come do this for us. And we're like, we want you to fly to our very, <laughs> very expensive touristy city and pay for your own hotel room, your own transportation from the airport and do a show. But we're not going to give you anything. And we're not really going to promote that you're here. But we want you to come and do that. Okay, thanks. Yeah, that's that's a no because we said no. <laughs> that is a no. That's, that's a no. That's a no because if I'm going to pay a bunch of money to go to a convention and work, I might as well just go and have fun. Right. I might as go to a con that I was already wanting to go to, like a bucket list con, and just go have funsies and not work the entire time at a con that I wasn't planning on going to to begin with. Right, because our, our way in which we judge our compensation is heavily based on, one, how much do we want to do the thing they're asking us to do, and two, how much do we want to go to this con? That's, that's how we decide what we're going to do, because yeah. otherwise you end up doing a lot of things you don't necessarily want to do, thinking you're going to get a benefit out of it that nine times out of ten you're not going to get. Well, and even then, like, if I really want to do it, but I am capped at how much, you know, extra income I have just to spend to go to cons for funsies, like, I'm going to pick the cons I'm going to go have fun at and not the cons that I'm going to have to spend hundreds of dollars to work at because I don't want to pay to work. So in the next section, <laughs> we got some fun for you. Oh, so I have a quiz. I have a quiz for you, Elle. Oh, great. Yes. And these are, it's, it's nothing too crazy and it's more so like yes no like has this been your experience sort of thing oh gotcha so we'll call it more of a survey we'll call it a survey instead of a quiz but there's 10 questions so we'll just go through them and then we can talk about it at the end <laughs> um number one has a convention you've worked for ever presented themselves to you in an exaggerated and grandiose term including their accomplishments and achievements, exciting and envy-worthy activities, 
an excessive focus on their issues or concerns, or an excessive focus on outward appearances. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Two. All of the above. <laughs> Has a convention you worked for ever given you flattery to make you feel special and valued, only to turn that into persuasion to get you to give them what they want? Always. Number three. Has a convention you've worked for ever lacked reliability in follow-through? This may include regularly breaking appointments or habitually failing on promises and agreements. <laughs> I love your facial expressions. They're so good. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. My deal. brain is thinking of the times in which I cannot count all of the times. Excellent. Oh, number four. Has a convention you've ever worked for goaded you to respond to their emails, DMs, etc. immediately and then tried to persuade you to do things their way or shown impatience or irritation when being told no or let me think about it? Yes. Five. Has a convention you've worked for ever violated rules and social norms or shown a wanton disregard for other people's thoughts, feelings, possessions, time, and physical space? Yep. Number six. Has a convention you've worked for ever expected others to cater to their needs without being considerate in return, mostly because the world revolves around them? <laughs> yes. Okay. Number seven. I feel like we need to post this quiz. We can. Um, number seven. Has a convention you've worked for ever used others to cover up a self-perceived inadequacy or flaw? Yes. Number eight. Has a convention you've ever worked for put other conventions down? Yes. Number nine. Has a convention you've ever worked for ever personally attacked? ghosted or tried to guilt trip you when you did not give them what they wanted absolutely and number 10 has a convention you've ever worked for strung you along lacking serious commitment in favor of keeping the status quo while simultaneously looking for an alternative quote-unquote better prospect more times than i'd like to count all right yeah that that hurts Okay. Well, pretty much all of those questions are paraphrased from a Psychology Today article entitled 10 Signs You're Dating a Narcissist. So congratulations. Oh, well, that doesn't surprise me because honestly, that is the personality trait that you're going to find in a lot of convention runners because you've got this hierarchy of importance combined with lack of business sense in a lot of cases. So, yeah. <laughs> but but for real, like the question is, why do people continue these relationships with toxic conventions? Because we all do it. <laughs> we, I mean, yeah, even we have and have continued to do it. Yeah. So the first one's going to be inertia, which pretty much everybody's familiar with Newton's first law of motion. Um, this is actually like way before Newton back in the Galileo days, but a body continues in a state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless made to change that state by forces acting on it. So your employees, your contractors, your volunteers, etc., are going to remain with that organization until something causes them to leave, whatever that might be. The second one's going to be your social norms. So this is the way it's always been done. 
this is what's expected. Everybody does it. Super, super, super dangerous way of thinking. Because just because something has always been done this way, quote unquote, doesn't mean it's right. Perceived opportunities outside of this particular convention organization. So are there other cons in your area? Are you going to be able to achieve the same or greater perceived status with one of those other cons instead? So there's a lot of people... And this is going to be in relationships. This is going to be in business relationships that are kind of just beat down over time to believe that if you go anywhere else, they're going to treat you exactly the same or possibly even worse than what you're being currently treated at. So it, it's safe to stay put. So, you know, you know, this is the devil that I know, whereas if I go somewhere else, it could be the same or much, much worse. You definitely need to, like, stop for a second and just breathe, first of all. But think outside the box. Can you widen that radius? Maybe look a little bit further away. Maybe consider, you know, for your own mental health and emotional well-being, going a little bit further away. Are there other organizations that aren't identical to the type of con that you're used to that you can work with but still achieve the same goal? So, like, if our goal is performing or emceeing, we don't necessarily have to do that with an anime convention. We could go to a comic con. We could go to like a local theater and improv troupe. We could go help out with some of our local burlesque troops. Like there's other things that we can do to fill that specific like want or need that aren't necessarily going to a con. Now, if you're talking about something like judge and cosplay contests, obviously that's going to be limited to only places that have cosplay contests and people judging them. You know, if you look down at the base reasoning behind what you're wanting to do, is there somewhere else or some other activity you can do to meet that same? I mean, similarly, even if you're looking at other organizations, you could look at other organizations and maybe a different type of work that you want to do. You know, if your your goal is to look at all the pretty cosplays and give people feedback on them because you like judging cosplay contests, maybe you could host cosplay meetups or do workshops at another con or something throughout the year with a local community instead. There's just, there are other options available to you if you're willing to think outside of this one specific little box. This is one that I struggle with, this next one. I think I feel we like both a lot of struggle people, with this one. I feel like a lot of people do. Um, it's called false responsibility, guilt, and self-blame. False responsibility refers to an attitude when you feel responsible things that objectively you are not responsible for. It leads to false guilt, and false guilt then leads to self-blame. It's a vicious cycle. So over time, you start to internalize this. So it makes you more susceptible to being manipulated and taken advantage of where you're willing to sacrifice your own well-being and self-interest to please and take care of others. So if I drop this con for not holding up their end of the contract, then it's the attendees or the competitors or the contest or the organizers who are going to suffer. It's not those people's fault that the convention screwed me over. If I don't present my panel or judge or do my performance, there will be no one else to do those things. That is A, not your responsibility, and B, you're wrong. You are always replaceable. You may not be replaced by someone of similar quality, but you are definitely always replaceable. Like I mentioned before, we were replaced by a damn robot once. 
Yes. And that's the thing you have to keep in mind, especially with cosplay guesting, is sometimes conventions don't care about the quality of the cosplay guest. They just care that there's a butt in a seat. You may be a better guest than what they're going to be able to get, but if they can get someone for their free price point, that's what they're going to do. The next one that I think that a ton of people have an issue with are going to be your friendships and your community relations. So this is, I also think, one of the harder ones to overcome. Because if I don't go to this con, I'm not going to get to see my friends. I won't get to interact with this specific community. And then, especially if I feel like my place and identity within this community could be threatened if I don't go. I would just ask for you to please consider this. And this is only a question that you're going to be able to answer for yourself. Is that, do you want to be in a community where either your identity or your status is contingent upon you consistently being abused by this particular organization? Well, and we've had to ask ourselves that a couple of times. And we don't work for those particular conventions anymore that have caused us those issues. Because the answer was no. (laughs) Because the answer was no. But really, a lot of this, I think, comes from whether it be like a relationship, an employee relationship, a staffing relationship, a guesting relationship. Like, it's that fear of what if you don't find something better? Or what if you're making too big of a deal out of the situation? Or what if you lose something you can't get back and you want it later? I know for us, that was one of our big ones when we cut ties with a couple past conventions was... What if I can't get this back anywhere? Like, what if I don't get another opportunity? And I think that, for cosplayers in particular, is the thing that keeps this whole cycle going. Is that fear that that other opportunity won't be there. And I will say that for us to get our opportunities back, it was a lot more work than if we had just stayed in the bad situation. But we chose the work because in the end it was the better choice for us but yeah it's a lot more work it hasn't been as easy the opportunities don't just fall into our laps but we're also not working ourselves into the ground anymore for we're not paying to work ourselves into the ground anymore i guess we're not paying to work ourselves in the ground and we can be more selective about what we're doing and i think that overall the quality of work we're able to do is better because we're able to put more time in on the back end and we're not just repeating and going through the same motions each time. So we're able to have those conversations of, you know, what are our goals for the, you know, the podcast? What are our goals for panel programming? What are our goals for, you know, the next time we're in a green room and we could talk about those things and work on those skills on the back end and not just be constantly running and ragged because we are just putting in so much so often yes we are choosing quality over quantity at this point but i know that was i mean that was the big thing for me was the fear of what if i can't get this back and there have been some things that unfortunately was not able to get back but we've also we've also had opportunities that we definitely would not have had if we had stayed in the situation we were in another thing that i would like To know, and I mean, this kind of opens into what we were just talking about, is that retention does not equal satisfaction. Oh, no. So just because somebody (laughs) stays with an organization for a long time, um, and like Elle said, like we had this happen and we stayed for 
quite a while and it took a while for us to decide to break away. That doesn't mean that they're getting a good deal or that their relationship from a business perspective is healthy. That's not what that means. So I found this study done by the Harvard Business Review, and it kind of broke down the relationship between job satisfaction and environmental factors and and split it into like four different types of employees. And this is super relevant, I think, to anybody that works for a con and even a little bit to a certain extent for some of your like vendors and your attendees and your contractors, not just the people that are getting paid by the convention, but the people that are going to make their money in some way from the con. The first thing to remember is that your environmental pressures can be either internal or external. So internal pressures are going to be like work rules, facilities, um, what kind of breaks and benefits and wages you get. Obviously, this is more geared towards employment, but all the same rules pretty much apply for con work. Um, External pressures are going to be like other job opportunities, your relationship with the community, financial obligations you might have, family ties, etc. So if you've got people with low satisfaction and low pressure, they're going to leave the first chance that they get. Very few employees are actually going to start out in this category, and they typically end up here over time after having experienced a gradual like erosion of their inertia. The next category is going to be those with low satisfaction but high pressure. These are going to be your people that kind of feel trapped. Um, They stay because they quote unquote have to. These people can actually be problems in your organization. They can lead to other issues with other employees or productivity. Um, In the business world, sometimes that evolves into espionage or sabotage. At one point, they were probably exemplary employees and then just over time, their behavior changed and they became psychologically absent and just kind of went through the motions. They, you know, do the minimum. It's called working to rule where you do literally exactly what is asked and nothing more, nothing less. They just, you know, produce that particular output and then nothing more. They're not the people that you want that are going to go above and beyond. Those with high satisfaction but low environmental pressure to stay are really kind of your most desirables from a perspective from the organization because they are here because they want to be here and not because they have to be here. So as an organization, you need to make sure that you're keeping these people happy because they could leave if they decide that it's not really worth it to them anymore. They want to do it and they want to be here and they want to do the work that they're doing. But if it gets bad enough, they're going to be like, peace, I'm out. Your fourth category is going to be your people with high satisfaction and high pressure to stay. And they're going to be your long-term employees. So even if temporarily things aren't so great, they're going to likely stay with the organization in the long run. Well, we can kind of guess why people don't talk about these topics. I mean, even I was a little nervous to do this episode because I don't want cons to be like, oh no, they're displeased with everything everyone does. So we don't want to hire them. Even though that's like, not the most likely occurrence because, you know, we all have that little bit of fear that, you know, things are going to be taken wrong or, you know, as we discussed earlier. No, absolutely. Um, A lot of things, too, is that sometimes people are in these situations for a really long time before they kind of realize what's going mm-hmm. on. So, Oh, that was us, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you 
you might bring up your concerns and they might gaslight you and you know it's not really as bad as you think it is it's not it's not that bad or you know we got to a certain point where we were aware of what was going on but despite the challenges we kept going for a little bit because for all those reasons we listed before worried about getting those opportunities in other places or anything like that or like you said just a minute ago you don't want it to look like you know, we're difficult or ungrateful for the opportunities that we've had in the past. Well, and you don't want to badmouth an organization, you know, fear that other brands or organizations won't want to work with them in the future because maybe them refusing to work with this one group will make it look like they're going to refuse to work with any group, which, oh, look, it's the fear I was having when we decided to put this episode out. And I mean, like we said at the beginning, we're not naming names. We don't want to, this isn't a call out episode to anybody in particular about anything specific that happened. It's just one of those things that does happen. And I think more people need to talk about, but you know, I get it from an organizational standpoint. If somebody was to badmouth a specific convention, you know, the thought in the back of my mind is going to be like, well, what's to prevent them from badmouthing me on whatever format they're using to badmouth people if they were willing to do it this one time with this other con people don't say anything and we've had this too which is one of the reasons we don't name names is you don't want the negative attention and the hyper scrutiny that's going to come from like the diehard con fans if they think that you're bashing their beloved convention yes or their beloved guest or their beloved waifu right exactly (laughs) yeah and, I mean, you know, even just, like, the internet trolls can be a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, and invent, you know, people don't want to miss out. Apparently, he thinks that's funny. That's not funny, sir. People don't want to miss out. Yeah. Just like I you mean, do people not want just, to miss out. They don't want to miss out. They don't want to somehow hurt their ability to have opportunities elsewhere. But, you know, ultimately, like, we get that in the end, this isn't likely to change at all. Um, conventions have been doing this since the dawn of time conventions have the upper hand in this situation there are always going to be cosplay guests who are willing to pay to work always 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 cosplay guests youtubers podcast guests like everybody it's just it's always (laughs) going to be a thing so if the convention doesn't necessarily have a quality standard that they're trying to meet they're always going to be able to fill that role with someone for free. And we aren't even saying that 100% of the time everything should be covered. But, you know, an effort to make some sort of compensation for people's hard work and long hours, along with just some basic respect, I don't feel is like a huge ask in the grand scheme of things. Mm, No, I would agree with you. Well, and I don't want you all to think that we haven't had good experiences because we've had more wonderful experiences than we've had bad experiences or we wouldn't still be doing this. Yes. We just wanted you all to know some of the wild things that have happened to us. You know, we've had some really great experiences where like department heads have dug up compensation to help us pay for gas after the fact because we had to travel a really long way, um, found a place for us to stay so we didn't have to pay for it. Buy your judge's lunch. Like, it's just a really simple thing. We've, we had department heads who worked really, really hard to find us a hotel room when it didn't seem possible because that got dropped somewhere else. Breed Pop gives us two free badges worth $100 each to do one panel. Like, just one panel. 
you know, it's not a ton. It's not anything crazy, but think about what you can give your guests. What can you give your judges to compensate them, to show them they're appreciated, to show them some respect? Food goes a really long way for judges. It really does. You're in that room all day long. Get them some snacks. Get them lunch. Get them water. You know, if you can dig up gas money for someone who's traveling... If you, you know, if your guests are, if your cosplay guests are comfortable with it, offer them the option to share a hotel room together so that they can, maybe you guys pay for that one hotel room, but to guests stay in it saves you money, helps save them money in the long run. Because really, all anyone is asking for is just some, you know, to respect their time and to try not to overburden your talent, because if you can show them respect and not overburden them, that's going to go a long way, and they're going to want to come back to work for you. And ultimately, that's what you want, is for your quality performers, your entertainers, your guests, your staff, to come back and want to keep working with your organization. And we also don't want to go bankrupt in that process. Well, and I think an important thing for conventions to consider, too, is that if we like the colloquial we are spending so much time working at your convention that that's the only thing we're doing while we're there then there should be some sort of compensation for that because like we talked about earlier otherwise we're paying to come and work for you like if i have to pay for my room and pay for my gas and pay for my parking and pay for my food but i'm working all day friday all day saturday part of the day sunday when am I enjoying the con that I'm paying to be at? I think that's a big one that gets missed a lot. Because the more of the convention that's taken away from you, the more compensation that should probably be offered. Because you're no longer attending the convention that you're paying for. But again, I guess that just kind of goes in the uh, showing a little respect for your talent category. Well, that got heavy. It did. <laughs> But it's a hard topic to cover, and, you know, we know there are so many new cosplayers that desperately want to be recognized and want to be guests. These things you just don't think about, and we didn't think about when we started either, and we did a lot of things for free. We spent a stupid amount of money working for conventions, and you just have to figure out what you feel you're worth, and then stick to your guns, because eventually you will find a place that recognizes your worth and has that kind of respect you you will eventually find an organization that knows your worth it may mean turning down other opportunities but the time will come i'm ash i'm l this is our executive producer we are lobby cosplay and this is shit cosplayers say and all we're asking is for a little respect just a little bit just a little bit just a little bit (laughs) You've been listening to Shit Cosplayers Say, an LVC production. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Podcast SCS. Our website is lavicosplay.com. Have a fun, crazy con or cosplay-related story, absurd cosplay question, or just something in general to share with us? Email us at podcastscs at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and remember, just because you can, 
doesn't mean you should.